The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Finding Happy. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is the word of the Lord. We've been asking several questions, right? We've been asking, okay, first off, does God want me to be happy? That was the first sermon. We saw that, yes, God does want us to be happy. Second week, Jeff answered, is God happy himself? We saw, yes, God is happy. Last week, I talked about... Do I have to choose between holiness and happiness or is holiness and happiness at odds with one another? And that is kind of a very controversial subject. And uh, we had a lot of, there's a lot of confusion regarding that subject. And hopefully I cleared much of it up last week. I heard from a lot of you that it was a, a help. It was a helpful sermon. Uh, so much so I thought maybe I'll just replay it today and just not even attempt to go any further with that. Uh, but no, we are going to go further. And um, what we're going to look at today, see, because of everything we've said in the past three weeks, we've learned that our happiness and our holiness are deeply connected. And so if we want to find happy, we have to develop holiness. Now, if any, if, when, I know if anyone in this room was raised in the church, that just makes you cringe when you hear those words, develop holiness. Right? And we talked about last week, so you can go back. I'm not going to preach that whole sermon again. But holiness and happiness are connected. They're not at odds. Holiness isn't austere, cold, legalistic, boring. It's not any of those things. Holiness is the grounds from which all of our happiness springs. But what we do know and what we should recognize and what was true from much of what we learned, developing holiness is difficult. <laughs> right? And so that should teach us that finding, if we have to be holy in order to be happy, this is telling us that finding happy is going to be a fight. Now, I doubt you've ever thought about that before. Usually when we think about happiness, we think of the absence of conflict. We think of kind of just sitting and happy comes to us. I'm on the beach and I'm just happy, right? We don't think about happiness being a fight, but that indeed is the case. A large portion of our own happiness 
comes from the way we live our lives. Now, listen, many of us think the majority of our happiness comes from circumstances outside of us. If you say, are you happy? And I say, no, I, you say, why? I say, don't have enough money. My kids are in trouble. I got this going on. I got, it's all circumstantial, right? We believe that the majority of the reasons we're not happy are because of circumstances. Okay. Now listen, this is interesting. I read this week, this a uh, woman named Sanja, I can't even say her last name, starts with an L and ends with a Murmursky, mur- okay? She has her BA from Harvard. She has a PhD from Stanford. She wrote this book called The How of Happiness. It's a scientific approach to happiness. She's not a believer that I know of. She says about 10% of our happiness is circumstantial, okay? 10% of our happiness comes from circumstances, about 50% by our genetic makeup and our temperament, okay? But the remaining 40% is entirely within our control, our choices, our behaviors, our thoughts. Secular researcher, secular writer saying 40% of our happiness is in our control, our behavior, our thoughts, our choices, Now, this is where the fight for our happiness actually takes place. It's in our mind. It's in our heart. It's in our will, our choices, which means it's in, we can see it. We can see how we're fighting for happiness in our daily rhythms. We're going to get really practical today. Your happiness is largely determined by your daily habits. And for anyone (laughs) who's ever tried to change some of those daily habits, you should understand that you're up for a fight, right? Just that one thing that annoys your wife, it would be so easy just to change that one thing. That one look on your face when she says that one thing and you give that one smirk and she won't, you know, just that one thing. It's, it should be easy to change, but it's not easy to change, is it? I'm just going to wake up 30 minutes earlier. I'm just going to watch one episode on Netflix. See, this is what New Year's resolutions are all about. We always want to change. We always have all these things in our life we want to change, these daily habits we want to change. But we should know that they're very difficult to change. And if you want to change, you're going to be in for a fight. And let me just say, wishing to change, hoping to change, if you're not changing on the daily, if you're not, if you don't have new rhythms and new habits in your life daily, you won't get new results long-term, monthly yearly, decades, by the end of your life. We have got our faith, our new identities in Christ have got to get worked out. Our search for happiness and holiness has got to get worked out in the small minutia of our life, like our daily rhythms, like our schedule, like our calendar. But before we get into all this really practical stuff, we need to build a foundation. I'm going to be doing this a lot. It's a little chilly in here today. And for that, of course, we're going to go to the word of God. So open up your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Uh, I think the text will be on the screen as well. There should be, if you don't have a Bible uh, on your phone, you know, there's, there's Bible spread out on the floor. There should be a couple you could grab there. We use the ESV version here because it's a word for word translation with uh, the most up-to-date scholarship with the most up-to-date manuscript evidence. So we, uh, we highly recommend the ESV version. Second Peter one, um, we're going to go one through nine. I'm going to go ahead and read this. Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this letter is from Peter. Peter is writing this letter, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's interesting. He's an apostle, but he's writing to believers and he's saying, you have an equal standing. So there are no like apostles and then just Christians, right? Like, I mean, there are apostles and Christians, but they're not on different level. They're on the same standing. They're equal standing, right? There are no super apostles or super saints. Christians are Christians are Christians. So it's clear here, Peter is specifically writing to believers, okay? His uh, kind of a common salutation here, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now this is the bulk of where we're going to spend our time this morning. And uh, hopefully the way I'm going to, what's called exposit this text or exegete this text will help you do it yourself. Okay, I want you to see everything I'm saying today is coming out of this text. This text right here is one of the clearest texts in all the Bible on how to be happy and holy, how to develop happiness, how to develop holiness. It's a very important text for us. We should do our best, I think, even to memorize this text. Okay, here we go. His divine power. Okay, that's God. Okay, God's nature, God's power in and of himself has granted to us. So God out of his abundance, out of his power has granted to believers all things. Bracket that. Highlight that. God's power has granted to believers all things that pertain to to life and godliness. Now that verse right there is just a showstopper, okay? Everything that we need as believers in our life and godliness, he says. He combines it. Everything we need in our life, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, God has given us through his power. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now that means our happiness and our holiness. We have everything we need for those two things in our life. God's power has given Christians everything they need for life and godliness. So anytime we say we're lacking, we need a brother or sister to remind us of this verse right here. Everything you need for life and and godliness, everything you need to live a life of holiness, God has given you through his power. Now, let's keep reading. Well, how does that come to us? We should ask. Through. Do you see that next word? See, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through 
This is how we get them. This is how believers lay access to these things through the knowledge of him. Okay. So God's power comes to us through knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This is God, like we saw last week, calling us into his own happiness, calling us into his own sufficiency. Here is another linking word by which, how does the power come to Christians? Everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Well, how does the knowledge of him flow to us? Right? By which he has granted to us his what? Precious and very great promises. Okay. So that means the knowledge of God comes to us through his word, comes to us through the scriptures, comes to us through his precious and very great promises. So that here we go. What's the result of Christians receiving this power that comes through the knowledge of God that comes through the scriptures. This is unbelievable. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. What is that? The divine nature, the, his divine power so that Christians can become partakers of the divine nature so that Christians can experience the godliness that comes from God, the power for holiness that comes from God, the happiness that comes from God. Do you see this circle? Okay. God has given everything to believers through his power through the knowledge of him, through the scriptures, so that we can become partakers of his God, of godliness, of his happiness. Next. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now this is, it's interesting. Peter let me, let me go through what he's done here. First, he says this, God has granted to us everything we need to be happy and holy. Second, that happiness comes through the knowledge of God, his calling of us, his glory, his excellency. God has called us to be happy in him. Third, that knowledge comes through his precious and very great promises how do we know that God's called us to his glory and his excellence through his promises, through his scriptures. Fourth, through these promises, we become partakers. That's unbelievable. Partakers of the divine nature. That means we get to share in his holiness. We get to share in his glory. We become like him in godliness and holiness. And that makes us happy. That's the positive. Now listen, here's the negative. So, as we come to know God through the power of the scriptures, right? Through, through his scriptures, as we come to know God and we've received this power, we get a positive, we partake with God, we become like him, but there's also a negative. And the negative is we learn, we turn away from the sinful desires in the world. See, this is the conflict that's going on. Through the promises and the knowledge of God and the power of God, we also escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So this is where we see the fight take place. God's given us himself. God's given us his power. God's given us his spirit. God's given us his scriptures. He wants us to share in godliness. But while we're sharing in the godliness in this life, we're also pulled by the way of evil sinful desires. Right? And so every single Christian has this conflict going on. Every single Christian has a fight going on. 
This is why there's so much warfare terminology in the New Testament. Your soldiers, he says, your athletes, he says, your farmers, all of those are hard, hard work involved, right? Occupations. That there's a battle between us. God's called us to partake in holiness and partake of himself, but there's also this sinful desire in us. And through the scriptures, we're at war in our hearts. Now, man, Peter says, God has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness, for holiness and happiness. So why aren't we happy? And why aren't we holy? Listen to what Calvin Miller says. There is no automatic joy. Listen, and some of you have heard this before. And I apologize. You've went to a church before and they said, come down to the altar or raise your hand or give your life to Christ and everything will be better and everything will go well. and Your life will be, you know, whatever rainbows and sunshine. Listen to what this theologian says. There is no automatic joy. Christ is not a happiness capsule. He's the way to the father. But the way to the Father is not a carnival ride in which we sit and do nothing while we are whisked away through various spiritual sensations. Peter said that God has given us everything that is necessary for us to live a life of happiness and holiness. And all of this comes through the knowledge of God. And this knowledge is at war with our sinful desire. That means there's a war going on inside of every single Christian and it's a war for your holiness and it's a war for your happiness. And any true Christian in this room should realize that. And if you shrug it off and go, I don't think there's a war going on. Then I doubt you're a Christian because you feel the pull. You feel the battle. Sometimes you wake up and wonder where did that thought come from? You surprise yourself with your own Selfishness. You surprise some of the words that come out of your mouth. You surprise yourself. You shock yourself. This is a war that's going on inside of us. We have been called to God, and we saw last week, justified, made right with God. We have been given a new heart, and yet sinful desire still remains tempting us and luring us and pulling us back towards the corruption that is in the world and thereby robbing us of the holiness and the happiness that we desire. But Peter says, this is why I gave you the scriptures. This is why God gave you the scriptures. This is why you have the precious and very great promises so that you can fight. Finding happy is a fight for holiness and happiness. And Peter makes it even more clear in the next verse. Verse five. Now, uh, let's keep going for this very reason. Okay. Linking right for this very reason. What reason? Everything he just said before God has given us all things for life and godliness for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement 
your faith with virtue. Now listen, when I hear the word supplement, I think something is lacking in me. If you go to GNC and you need, to, you need supplements, something is lacking from your diet, so you need to supplement that thing. But, God is, but Peter already said for us, right, in verse 3, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So this, this word supplement doesn't mean we're comp- we don't have it at all. It means maybe we need to work it out. We need to make every effort to put it to use, to develop it. Let's keep reading. Well, let's just stay right there, actually. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Peter is saying, you've been given everything you need for holiness and happiness. Now, make every effort. You've been given the power to fight. You've been given the weapons of your warfare. You've been given the desire. Now fight. It's going to take effort. It's going to take work. Now our justification, right? Did our justification take any work? None whatsoever. Christ did all the work for us. We receive it by faith. Peter says, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. You have it. It's there. It's in you through God's power. Now make every effort. Effort to do what? Look, Supplement your faith with virtue. We don't use the word virtue very often. High moral character. Integrity. Faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. Look, look, look. Knowledge. See, there's that word again. He's already said that we we grow and we partake of the glory of God will partake of the divine nature of God through knowledge. He's like, you need to add to your faith virtue. You need to add to your virtue knowledge. You need to be growing in knowledge with, and then knowledge with self-control and this word self-control in the Greek specifically means sexually. It's harnessing your desires. It's bringing your sinful sexual desires under control. That they are a fire, and when they're out of the the God-ordained fireplace, they destroy everything. Your sexuality was meant for the marriage between a husband and a wife, and when they get outside of that, through whatever whatever other means, they're going to bring destruction. Paul says your faith needs to develop self-control. If you're in Christ, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness, you need to make every effort to have self-control. With self-control, steadfastness. Now, steadfastness means you become almost unmovable in the midst of pain, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty. You are grounded. You're strong. You have a spine. You have a backbone. When the wind blows, you can resist it. That We're to make every effort to supplement our faith with steadfastness. 
that we're strong in the Lord, that we can help others. We're like a kite always blown around by the wind. We can never help anybody else. Right? But he says, be steadfast, make every effort to be steadfast, be a leader, be strong, be solid, be grounded, have a foundation, steadfastness with godliness. That's what we talked about last week. Being like God. We can't be like God in his you know, essence, but we can be like God in his character. We're going to fall. We're going to fail, but we're to make every effort to develop holiness and holiness with look at this brotherly affection. See, I love the way the scriptures teach because some of us, when we hear virtue knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. We're like, yeah. And we get hardened and we can be like, I can do this. And it's this military. And then he's like brotherly affection. Brotherly. What is that? Warmth. The feeling you have between siblings when it's good. (laughs) Right? Brotherly develop this gentleness, develop this warmth of character and warmth of personality and a true love for your brother and sister in Christ. Like they are your brother and sister. He's like, supplement your faith, grow in that. This is what holiness is what godliness. You're partaking of the divine nature for this purpose. Grow in your ability to love your brothers and sisters. Brotherly affection with love, of course, love. Love is the pinnacle of our faith. First Corinthians 13 tells us all about this. You can have prophecy, you can be all knowledge, but if you don't have love, you're a banging symbol, clanging gong or a banging symbol. Love is the pinnacle. Growing in holiness is growing in love. So you see these kind of tough qualities growing, steadfastness, self-control, knowledge, but you also see these really soft, tender qualities growing as we grow in holiness. Brotherly affection, love. These, listen, what are these? You look at these things, what are these? Does anyone say, I really don't want self-control? I would be happy if I just had no self-control. I'd be happy if I was just like a kite blown around by anything. Some of you are like that. You're a people pleaser. And so you're never happy because you're always trying to please people. And you know what would really, you know what? It's kind of funny actually if you're a people pleaser because you try to please opposing people. How is it possible? Two people tell you to do two different things. You say yes to both. You wonder why you're confused and you're not happy, right? You're a kite. You don't have steadfastness. You don't have integrity where you can be who you are and you can disappoint someone. See, when we look at these traits, these traits are the traits of a holy person, yes, but also a happy person. I can, if I'm happy in who God made me to be, I can disappoint you. And honestly, I can say, this is what God's called me to do. Opposing people want me to do different things. I'm going to upset somebody. But if I'm happy in the Lord and I'm steadfast in the gospel, my identity won't be crushed underneath that. See, these are all traits of the holy and a happy person. And we are in a fight for holiness and a fight, therefore, 
for our own happiness. And it's going to take every effort I have. Now, listen, what if I just don't want to fight? What if I don't want to fight? What if I don't understand that my faith and Christianity, once I accept the gospel, it is a fight. What if I don't want to do that? Well, look what Peter says. Verse eight. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. Oh, I love that verse right there. First of that, that's it. So for anybody who's been a Christian for a while and you're like, you know what? I'm pretty steadfast. I'm, I'm pretty loving down with my brothers. Look at this. Look at the standard here for anyone who has these qualities and they are increasing. <laughs> this is a moving scale. So yesterday, if you had them tomorrow, you better have them more right? If anyone has these qualities and they're increasing, what does that mean? Progressive sanctification. We're growing in our holiness. We're growing in our godliness. We're growing in our steadfastness and our self-control. We're meant to be growing in these things constantly Christians. What does he say? Look at, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, that right there is the definition of an unhappy person. Ineffective and unfruitful. Ineffective and unfruitful is a Peter's definition here of an unhappy person. There's no fruit in their life. They're not effective at whatever they're attempting to do, specifically matters of their faith and walking with the Lord. They're ineffective and unfruitful and therefore unhappy. Now, I'm going to pull back from this for a second. And I want to make something really, really clear. The foundation for our happiness and holiness is the work that God has done through Jesus on our behalf. If a person wants to be happy and holy, they must go to Jesus first and foremost to be forgiven of their sin and made a partaker of the divine nature. As Peter talks about it, there is no happiness and holiness outside of Christ. Now listen, this is from Lewis and one of his C.S. Lewis and one of his essays. Um, it's one of my favorite quotes of his. This is what he says. C.S. Lewis, what Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could quote be like gods. They could set up their own as if they had created themselves. They could be their own masters. They could invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. Lewis goes on. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, it's gas, and it would not run properly on anything else. 
Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering with religion. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. So for everyone in this room this morning who has not placed their faith, their full trust in Jesus, that's what I would hope for you to do this morning because it's hopeless to talk about holiness and happiness if you haven't found it in God first, if you haven't found it in Jesus Christ first. The good news of the gospel is that God has your happiness secured. If you would come to him, confess your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. But now, let me speak to the Christian. Christian, do you know how to fight for your happiness? We're in a battle. We're in a war. I think most of us probably would agree with that fact that we recognize that daily we battle Do you know how to fight? Do you know how to fight victoriously? Do you know how to fight and win? If you don't, then you're not, your life that you're living right now is not much better than a person who doesn't know Christ at all. You might be a depressed, you know, Christian who's being defeated every single day. And you might not know how to live this kind of victorious life in Christ. And I use that, word, that language very carefully because of sometimes the, the negative implications that can come from it. We will still suffer. We'll still lose. We'll still fail. And yet we'll ultimately win. Now from this scripture, I see two great battles that Christians must partake in really on the daily basis. Okay. And I hope we get this in order. First off, one If we want to grow in holiness and grow in happiness, we've got to fight. But our first fight is our first fight. Make it happen. Wake up, put my war paint on. Make it happen. No, our first fight is to remember our justification. Our first fight is to remember what God has done. Look at verse one, or I'm sorry. uh, Look at verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things. Highlight that. If you're in Christ, his divine power has. So when we're suffering, when we're under temptation, when we're being pulled away from godliness, the first thing we need to remember is what God has done. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's past tense, and we can rejoice in that. I currently possess everything I need to win the battle I'm in right now in this moment. I have it all because what Christ has already done for me. Second, verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Past tense. God has filled me with his spirit. God has given me the power. God has given me his promise, his promises. 
Look at verse 9. So stop. Let me just say this. Many of us, when we fail, just think about the list. We fail in virtue. We weren't patient. We weren't kind. We fail in self-control. We fell, we pursued pornography or a, a sinful relationship, right? When we sin in these ways, when we break these lists, when we aren't making every effort, what is, when we fail in sin, what do we think we need to do? Try harder. Try harder. You weren't trying hard enough, right? That's what, that's most of us go there. Look what Peter says in verse nine. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Highlight this, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The first thing we need to do to fight and to grow in godliness and to grow in holiness and to grow in happiness is to remember what God has done for us in the gospel. He has cleansed us from our former sins. Has. We are cleansed. So you're telling me when I sin, I need to remind myself that I'm cleansed. Absolutely. That's what you need to do. You need your missional community to do that. You need your fight club to do that. You need your spouse to do that. This is what Peter says right here. When we're sinning, we're forgetting that we've been cleansed. We feel the desire in us. We feel this pull. And so we forget that we have, we're partakers of the divine nature. We forget we're give, we've been given the scriptures. We forget that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we, when we forget that, we run like the dog after its vomit, like the pig back to the pigs. We run to these other things. Peter says, if you want to grow in godliness, the first thing you have to do is remember the gospel, Christian. Secondly, Peter there, I mean, right in the middle, he says, you have been given everything. If you're failing, you've forgotten what you have been given. And in the middle, sandwiched by the gospel, he says, make every effort. And therefore, our fight is to fight from the stage of our justification. Because we have been made right with God, I can fight my sin right now in this moment and I can win. I can resist the pull to do whatever it is that I'm being pulled and told to do by my sinful, evil desires. I can stand because God has justified me. In the pillar commentary on this verse, Peter David says, we do not automatically become more virtuous as if God infused virtue into us intravenously. We need to make plans and expend effort. To connect this back to my intro, the majority of our happiness is determined by our daily habits. Make every effort. So guys, this is, first off, I want us to feel, because anytime you talk about holiness and growing in godliness, we feel weight. We feel like, okay, I'm not doing very good and I'm not, you know, I need to suck it up and I need to be better and I need to try harder. But first and foremost, Peter's saying, you need to remember the gospel. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Let me just say it like this. 
I'm debating on which words to use right now. You are a failure. You are morally bankrupt. You are incapable of any good thing. And so because of that, God sent his son who is impeccable, perfect, aced every one of those lists, virtuous knowledge, self-control, brotherly love, brotherly affection, love, because we are worse than we ever thought possible. God sent his son to succeed where we fail and then to die on the cross to take our punishment so that after dying on the cross and resurrecting to new life, he could gift us his righteousness. And so now I stand forgiven, cleansed by God in the righteousness of God. I am deemed righteous. Am I virtuous? No. I'm righteous. I'm not virtuous. I'm deemed righteous. I have to grow in virtuousness. Do you see what's going on here? If that is really true, if you're really worse than you ever thought possible, but simultaneously more love than you could ever imagine, when we sin, it shouldn't shock us. When someone says, what you said was offensive. What? what I, I wish, why are you, what is that? Why are you trying to justify? Why are you trying to explain? Because you don't believe the gospel. You don't really believe you're worse than you ever thought possible. And if you don't believe you're worse than you ever thought possible, you'll never experience how freeing it is to be a complete loser and loved. I, I have a friend and a pastor. He's much older than me in Nashville. And there, I think I maybe mentioned this last week, possibly, but the two principles of his church are we are complete idiots and we are ridiculously loved. You'd be amazed if you really believe those two things, how your life would change your defensiveness gone. The shock at your own sin gone. How quick would you be to go back to Jesus? How quick would you be after you sin to go to the father and remember your righteousness and remember the grace he gave you? Why? Because you're not surprised. I'm a complete idiot. Idiots do idiotic things. That's what sinners do. So what do we need to do to make every effort to grow in godliness while we sin, while we're pulled back? What do we do? Now this is the practical piece and it's based upon the first piece. We have to remember the gospel, right? We have to go to Christ for our justification, for the power of our sanctification. But I see three things here. We saw the majority of your happiness is based upon your habits. We make every effort habitually. You can't make every effort just on Sunday. How do you grow into a great football player? Well, first, if you have to genetically gifted, right? But then you habitually do it every single day. You're working on it. You're working your speed. You're working your agility. You're working your strength. How do we grow in godliness every single day? Every single day. So what does that mean? Three things here. One, we have to have our mind 
set on the word of God. You cannot increase in the knowledge of God without going to the promises of God. You, Christian, you may feel guilty about this. I don't care. You can't grow without being in the word of God. How often should you be in the word of God? Every single day. It's a habit. What does that mean? Now, we're all wired differently. Okay? For me, I think best first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee before my kids wake up. Right? So I have to wake up early. I get my coffee. I sneak down in the basement and sit by the water heater. Okay? Just glorious. Mm, This is so heartwarming to sit down here by this water heater. All right? It's not some, condu- you know, some of, if I was in Colorado and I could go out and sit and look at the mountains, my time with Jesus would be so spectacular. No, it wouldn't. My brother lives in Colorado. They got two feet of snow last week. <laughs> this is still, right? It's not good. We have to do it on a daily basis, no matter where we are, no matter where we live. Mothers, I know how, especially mothers of young kids, how crazy and how difficult this is how you have to plan nap times. But here's the deal. I know I have four little crazies. I know it's possible. It's absolutely possible to spend time in the word of God every single day, whether it's nap time, whether it's lunchtime, whether it's when they go to bed. John Piper has made a famous statement. Said a few years ago, he says, our time spent on social media will be a great judge against us at the judgment seat of Christ. When we say we didn't have time, to read the word or pray. They'll just pull up our Facebook. Hmm. You spent two hours a day, three hours a day on Facebook. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to pray. We do. You have the word of God in your hands. You have the word of God in your phone. You don't like to read. Push play on you version. They will read it to you. This is, we, we have the word of God in every technological device we possibly can imagine. There's no excuse not to be listening, reading the word of God. We have to be growing. We have to be proactive. So this is the proactive piece, right? Reading our Bible, reading Christian books, growing in our knowledge, growing in our understanding, growing whatever topic that we need. We need patience. We need parenting. We need how to be in community. We need to, how to fight lust. We got to go to the Bible and look for those things. We got to go to books and read about those things. We have to be fighting this fight in our minds. And then there's the reactive. Listen, here's the deal. Proactive fight is where I build muscle. Proactively, I go to the gym. I work out. I do all these things. Reactive is some, something happens to me. Yesterday, I had to move a huge play set for my kid. Me and Jeff by ourselves, waterlogged. It's ginormous. Had to li- Guess what? We had to lift it up by ourselves. If I don't, if we, neither one of us ever go to the gym, we probably would have injured ourselves doing that. I, we actually did nearly injure ourselves, right? What am I saying? Proactive work enables me to react to things with strength. Proactive filling my mind with the word of God enables me to react and take every thought captive as the crazy thoughts come into my head. As the sinful thoughts come into my head, as the temptations come into my head. If it's full of the word of God proactively, I can react out of the word of God. If my head is just full of Netflix 
and popular music. That's what I react out of. You react out of memes. Surprisingly, that wasn't in my notes. Mindset on the word of God. Are you fighting to grow in your knowledge of the word? You can take courses, free courses at seminaries, free courses at seminaries on the word of God. We are in a surprising day and age where we have no excuse not to study the word. Now, secondly, a heart. If I want to grow, I got to fight in my mind, grow in my knowledge of the word. I also have to fight in my heart. My heart has to be full of the love of God. Now, this is so interesting, guys. What Peter says here, he's poured into us like the, everything we need. The divine power is everything we need for life and godliness. We're told in other places that he's lavished the love of God onto us and filled our hearts with the love of God. But my heart forgets right? I forget that I was cleansed from my former sin. My heart, it has a leak and it feels like it's full of the love of God today when we're confessing our sins and singing and worshiping. And maybe it feels like it's full of love of God on, on Wednesday night with my missional or Tuesday night with my missional community. But then it, my heart leaks and I wake up in the morning and I feel cold. My heart feels shriveled and it doesn't feel with the love warmed or it doesn't feel like it's full of the love of God. This is why we need prayer what prayer does. Read the Psalms. The Psalms are a songbook. The Psalms are literally singing prayers. And the Psalms can warm my heart. My prayers can warm my heart as I connect with the Father. Meditation on the Word. Thinking over the Word. Here's another one. Confession and repentance. I've met so many people and it's such a surprise when you confess your sins and you repent or somebody calls you out on something and you confess and you repent, the freeing, I mean, you're fighting, you don't want to see it, you're resisting to it and all of a sudden you go, I'm a sinner, I'm an idiot. And they say, yes, you are and you're loved. And the, how that warms a person's heart, how that frees them. Sometimes the deepest darkest, sinful spot in their heart when it gets exposed and they confess and they repent, the warmth they can feel, the restoration they can feel, their heart full of the love of God. Because when we're at our lowest and we feel his love, it exalts us to the heavens. Heart full of the love of God. How? Ah, forget it. Third. We fought, I fought over how to say this one, but it just said all, the, all of life. So we have our head, mind set on the word of God, our heart full of the love of God, developing rhythms of confession and repentance and prayer and meditation on scripture. And then a, a whole life demonstrating the happiness and holiness of God. And what does that mean? This is where Paul says, developing your brotherly affection, developing your love. We must have a concern for others. That's outsiders and insiders. What does your life look like? Listen, if I took your schedule, how much of that time is spent just on you? Look at your schedule. Are you spending daily time with the Lord? 
Are you in a a close enough community where you're practicing confession and repentance and faith? Are you, does your schedule say you're a generous person? Listen, God doesn't give us beautiful, nice, comfortable homes so we can hide away from the world and worship at the altar of our family. He gives us these things for the purpose of mission. We can invite others into it. We can use it to serve the kingdom. We can host a missional community or have our fight club over, invite neighbors over for dinner, invite the neighbor kids over. God gives us these things for the purpose of mission. Is your life, does your schedule show that brother, developing brotherly affection and love for the insider and the outsider is important to you? Does your schedule show it? Now listen, if I asked you, I know you're going to say yes. God, what does your schedule show? That's the reality. I get it. If a poor, no, that's probably not even true. Never mind. I was going to say something, but somebody's going to knock on your door and they need something. And they, we all expect like, that's how God's going to, you know, have people come to us just someday. We're just person's going to come to us that we know and like and accept. And sure you could come in for dinner. It's not going to happen. We must be developing this. We must have a lifestyle. Randy Alcorn in his book, happiness says happiness doesn't precede giving and serving. Now that's huge. He's, he's not saying I'm happy. Therefore now I will give and now I will serve. And now I will think of others. He says happiness accompanies and follows giving and serving. So those who give and serve statistically, this is proven the happiest people in the world are those who go to church, who give and serve. Every happiness research shows these things go to church, give and serve. Why happiness comes out of those things. That's the way God wired us. Most of us think in our mind, once I get those things, then I'll be, or once I get happiness, then I'll give, serve, care for others. I'm too messed up. I'm too broke. I'm too whatever to do those things right now. He says, happiness doesn't precede giving and serving. It accompanies it and follows it. Those who sit around waiting to be happy shouldn't hold their breath. It will likely be a long wait. Happiness is found in our daily habits. I don't know how there's so many daily habits. I, 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 I couldn't even put my finger on which ones I should talk about. And because they're all so different for people. All right, let me tell you one as I close. Technology is shaping us. Okay? It's shaping the way we think, it's shaping the way we relate to one another, it's shaping the way we communicate. Some ways it's good, some it's good, but many it's bad. Okay? Specifically, social media. Right? A lot of positive things come your way. You know people's birthdays. You see people's celebration. They're happy times. People having babies. All this kind of good stuff. But also all of this unfiltered stuff comes to us. Right? Pornography. Just all kind of sexual innuendos and sexual stuff. It's just, it's just a time warp many times. Like falling down a black hole. So one thing that my family has done now is we, and I'm just going to, this is a little advertisement I guess. We bought this little thing called Circle Home. Okay? It's a little white box. 
It plugs into your Wi-Fi. It governs all your Wi-Fi. It controls every single device on your network. You can set it from a push on my app, on my phone, to control everything in the house. If you come over to my house with an iPhone, I can control it. Just a little bit. I can say, I can set my whole Wi-Fi to adult. Nobody can get on explicit content. My kid's iPad that they play with, I give that a two-hour limit. Why is my stuff not working? Circle. I hate circle. I love circle. <laughs> everything. The PlayStation, the Apple TV, the iPads, the phones. Everything's connected. I can control it. I can see what they're looking at. I can see. Well, here's the other thing. That we, that's for kids, right? All that fun stuff. Minecraft, you have one hour for Minecraft. Right? You can have two hours for Netflix. You can, I can set it all. When I want to, when we, need to have, we want to have family time and sit down for dinner and read, I pause the internet. Nothing on the no internet works in my house at all. Phones become just a thing. You have to sit it down, right? Here's what's funny. My wife and I, we're discussing this. We're going we're gonna to partake in this. Let's set limits on ourselves. Social media, let's set limits. Okay. How much you want? Right, we gave each other a time. We said, this is how long? By 11.30 a.m., I get a little notification. Amanda has reached her limit on Facebook. Ooh. Right? I tell her, she's like, no way! It's impossible! Give me another hour! I'm like, what will you do for me? No. I am the god of the internet! Right. <laughs> Literally. But this is, what it's, this is what it's done for us. This is what it's done for us. We're like, oh my goodness. I'm studying for a little bit. I'll take five minutes to see what's going on. That disconnects me mentally from what I'm going on. I'm no longer able to study for long periods. I need this little break all the time. You, we spend hours on it and we don't even know it. And 90% of it is wasting. What we do. What, so our rhythms. So we, we eat together as a family every single night. Other than missional community night, we eat together as a family every single night. No phones. We, we sit down, we talk, we eat. It's chaos, Right. Don't think of this little house in the prairie time. Oh, I'm going to open up the Bible. And we're going to teach. Here's my three points, kids. Like that is not happening. There's lots of yelling and threatening lives. <laughs> it, it all, that's Jesus loves you. And then we leave, right? No, it's, it's, it's difficult. And then you go through the chaos. You got like an hour, play with the kids, do whatever, you know, wrestle, have fun, be with the kids. Then it's bedtime. Thank God it's bedtime. And you take them to, and we do the bedtime story and we read the Bible to them and we read another story to them and we pray with them all and we teach them the Lord's prayer and we teach them Psalm 23 and we're doing these daily rhythms to get in the lives of our kids. And then what we found, we would come out, sit on the couch, Netflix. Oh no, no, not just Netflix. Netflix and <laughs> right. I, this can't even entertain me anymore. Now I need both at the same time. Right. And so what this limit has given us is now we're done. Our limit is up by five o'clock PM. Our Facebook limit, our, you know, it, social media is we're, we're used up. So now we, we come together as a family, or my wife and I come together at night, and we're, if we're going to watch Netflix or whatever we're going to do, the phones are down and we can actually communicate. This is one little rhythm. Well, that's a lot of rhythms in my life that you just heard, right? 
But these are daily rhythms. Now, here's one, one other thing. My son, he's nine. He got some money from his nini, and he wanted to open a bank account. So we went, opened a bank account. It was like $66 for a bunch of other stuff, too, and went, got the bank account, put it in there. Uh, we talk, I talked to him, hey, you know what? You know, God gave you all that money. God's the giver of all good gifts. You know, we tithe, and we give back 10%. He's like, that's $6? I said, that's $6. He's like, okay, can I have $6, please? The teller gave him $6. He walked in, he walked in that Sunday. He's like, I'm giving my $6 to God. Put it in there. I'm like, I was expecting more of a fight than that. He's like, I got $66, and I just gave, or, you know, gave $6, just gave it to God. If I start to teach him about giving at 16, that's going to be a fight. I'm, this is 300 bucks, dad, 30 bucks to God. For some of you, you're just learning that now at 30 or 40. It's a fight for you. See, this is how our daily habits and our daily rhythms affect not only us, affect our kids, affect our communities, affect our friends. Our daily little habits, these little bitty things have eternal implications to them. Now, for all of you who have spent time in the word of God and you've spent prayer and all you hear is a checklist and you know how frustrating that can be. Now, listen, my time with the Lord, when I sit down every morning and open up the word of God, all right, a light does not descend from the heavens and softly warm my heart where I lean into the father's bosom and I feel the divine realities of heaven entering into my soul. Right? It's boring sometimes. It's like a miner who wakes up every morning, puts his work boots on, puts his clothes on, puts his hat, descends into a mine every single morning, knowing there is a diamond down there. There is jewels down there, but I have to go down in the shaft every morning and find them. And some days I'll just get a lot of rock and a lot of dirt and a lot of, it should be a lot of sweat and effort and I won't get anything. But some days, and this is the hope that drives him. Some days he comes upon a diamond and he brings it out of that dark cave and he brings it up in the noonday sun and all of his toil and all of his effort was worth it. Did he put the diamond down there? Absolutely not. God through his divine power has placed those things in his word. He did it. We mine it. We dig it. We bring it out to enjoy it in the noonday sun. If you don't do the work, you'll never find the diamond. You'll never find it. You don't find it every day. Bible reading, memorization, reading Christian books, listening to sermons, listening to good Christian music or good music, journaling, praying, confessing our sins, being in missional community, being in a fight club, serving others, sharing our faith, giving of our finances. These are all habits that must be developed in our daily lives if we're going to be happy and holy. They're habits. So I want you to pray for God to change your heart. I want you to pray for you want to do these things, but that's not how habits work. I really want to be a world-class athlete. Father, would you, you know, just make me into that. Wake up at 5 a.m. and go to the gym. 
lift a heavy barbell, run. If you don't put in the work, you won't, it won't happen. Spiritually, it's the same thing for us. God has poured it in. God has done it. We've got to fight for our holiness and for our happiness. This is our fight. It's a fight to know and believe that all of these things do not make God love me any more or any less. God's love for me has been demonstrated perfectly when Jesus on the, died on the cross for sinners. But it's a fight to remember that. And it's a fight to have our minds and our hearts and our lives centered on the gospel, the good news of the glory of the happy God. So I invite you to fight. Will we lose? Yes. Are we going to win? Absolutely. Right? Will you sin and fall? Absolutely. But if you keep confessing your sins, repenting, going back to the word of God, seeking the father, living in community, living on mission, you will not be unfruitful. Like Peter says in this text, unfruitful. Listen, that's the life that scares me to get to the end of my life and to hear the father say, you are ineffective and unfruitful. Oh, you built a great business. Oh, you made a lot of money. Oh, you put your kids through college. But when it comes to the way I judge, you are ineffective and unfruitful. That's what I fear. That's what we all should fear. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you've done for us in the gospel. Your divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to our happiness and our holiness. You've put it in there. You've put it in your word. And now we get the pleasure of being the miner who goes in and pulls out the riches. Would you let us be good at that? Would you let us help us be hardworking? Help us make every effort. Help us do those things, not to try to please you and make you happy and because you already are happy with us. We're not trying to earn something from you. We've already been given everything we need. Father, for the Christian who needs to be admonished, to be rebuked strongly, to be encouraged, I pray that they would hear that for the Christian in this room who is weak and they need encouraged. I pray that they would hear that. Spirit is in them. They've been given everything they need for life and godliness. They can do this with your help. For the one who's fallen, I pray that they would be helped. Helped by your spirit, helped by your word, helped by their community. That we are all on this journey. We're all walking towards this sunset where we meet you one day. And I pray that it would not be said of us that we are ineffective and unfruitful. We've forgotten that we were cleansed. Let us live like we we were cleansed. God, do that by your spirit. And that will make us holy and that will make us happy in you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.
And as we come and take of your supper, let us remember the gospel. We are so bad that Jesus was broken for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed to cover our sins. And as we eat it this morning, we eat it remembering we're that bad that Christ had to die for us and yet we're so loved that Christ willingly died for us. Let us eat with that thankfulness, that gratefulness and let your body and your blood enter into our bloodstream and help us fight well this week. Fight the fight of faith. Fight our sin. Fight to believe. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.